Welcome to Foolish Voices, a Company of Fools podcast. Company of Fools is a professional theater based in Sun Valley, Idaho, and is a proud part of the Sun Valley Museum of Art. More information on Company of Fools and the museum can be found online at svmoa.org. Welcome to Foolish Voices. I'm Scott Palmer, Producing Artistic Director of Company of Fools. And on this show, we talk to a wide range of theater artists, both here in Sun Valley and all across the world, about how the current global health crisis is impacting their work, about their creative lives, and about their hopes for the future of our art form. Please consider supporting Company of Fools by making a donation in any amount via our podcast platform or online at svmoa.org. In this episode, I have the great pleasure of talking with my friend and colleague, Portland-based performer, director, and designer, Rusty Tennant. Rusty is the artistic director of Fuse Theatre Ensemble, and they have an MFA in directing and performance from the University of New Orleans. Rusty's recent directing credits include Cabaret, Sorted Lives, Under the Influence, King Lear, Rope, The Last Days, and A View from the Bridge, among many, many more. Rusty also serves as the technical director at Reed College and is a regular adjunct faculty and guest artist at a range of Northwest colleges and universities. Rusty is also the producing artistic director of the Outright Theater Festival, a celebration of LGBTQIA contributions to theater held annually in Portland. Rusty, thanks for joining us on Foolish Voices. How are you? I'm well, I'm well, how are you? I'm good, I'm kind of bored. <laughs> you know, it hit me hard yesterday. I, Did it? Yeah, I've been doing pretty well, but you know, I, I've used my, I've, I've completely revamped my whole back lawn, so um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of satisfied my creative, my, my technical director, my set design um, needs to keep moving and working. Um, but I'm also kind of at a stopping place with that. <laughs> And so, and the weather here, I don't know where, how it is uh, over there now, but the weather here has been uh, kind of cold and rainy the past few days. So it has been a little bit more of a challenge and, and I, um, I definitely uh, uh, got a little bored to yesterday, felt it hard. Pretty much. <laughs> so can I make a suggestion? Yeah, please. Once you finish with the backyard, just take a couple of days and then go back out and critique it. <laughs> and then you'll just end up wanting to start over. <laughs> the, Co the Coco Chanel approach. Exactly. That's exactly what I mean. <laughs> like, this is beautiful two days later. I hate it all. Change well, it. Why did I plant that? What I am I exactly. doing? So, well, I do have a whole front yard that I could um, possibly start working yeah, on. Right? I have a feeling there'll just be a rotating series of landscape designs happening around your home. It's like painting the Golden Gate Bridge. It'll just constantly be in process. Exactly. You get to one end, you have to go back to the start. I love that. Um, so how how has it been for you over the last eight weeks or so? How, how has this impacted your work? I mean, you have... You've got your fingers in every pie imaginable. I mean, not only are you the artistic director of a theater company, but you are producing artistic director of a theater festival. You're a technical director, a designer, a performer. How is this, how's it, how's it hit you? <laughs> how's it hit you? Um, so how I'm, I'm, I'm doing, I think maybe is my first uh, approach to this and, and I am doing well. I am, I am, exceptionally privileged to work for a college that has has um 
moved on this, especially our department moved on this very early. And, um, and so the risk of contamination, uh, I was quarantining before quarantining was cool. Um, thanks to, <laughs> thanks to the department, um, uh, that I work with and the, the, the people who, so, so ultimately very privileged, right? Like, um, I, I have a job. Um, I have a job that's been very flexible in keeping us working and, and working from home, even in very difficult situations. Um, my husband has uh, a job and has been able to work. So um, I see myself personally exceptionally privileged. Um, how it's hit me <laughs> is a very, very different ton of bricks. <laughs> right. right. Uh, uh, because I, you know, I'm, I'm an artist first. Uh, how, I, how that breaks down and what I work on uh, in particular projects is different with each project, but I, I just consider myself an artist first. And so the artist in me um, responds to this and can't help but respond to it. I respond um, emotionally. I respond empathetically. Um, and so uh, uh, that's a different world. And, and, you know, at the very onset of all of this, I was also dealing with the death of my, my best friend, my dog, um, who for two, the first two weeks of quarantine um, was basically slowly dying. He was 14, uh, 15 years old, sorry, uh, 15 years old. So it was time and he had mm -hmm. he'd lived a phenomenal life. But so I kind of uh, started out in a very, very frantic and difficult uh, period. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I appreciate that. Um, uh, uh, thank you. Um, uh, but the, the, what happened was I had I had put all of this energy and all of this focus and all of the stuff that was really truly you know my crazy mind erupting in all of this isolation. I put all of that energy into taking care of my dog, you know, picking up my dog and taking him outside to go to the bathroom and and constantly being focused on my dog. And then when my dog passed away, I was left with this like insane void, trapped in a home that he had made you know we had made so many memories in together so it was it was this absolutely like <laughs> most difficult trying situation on, a, on an emotional level for me um on top of just dealing with the emotions that i was feeling from isolation uh, that, yeah, is the, <laughs> that is a terrible terrible story i'm, so I'm sorry. sorry to start things off that no way. i mean <laughs> honest to god this is a, it's a podcast about artists dealing yeah. with you know a global pandemic not sure, a lot sure. of it is sort of like cotton candy and flowers you know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. oh Rusty, well, the, good, I'm so sorry. the good news is that i do have another um i have uh, i've always had another dog uh, uh and that dog has come through in, in an amazing fashion and saved me so hard. And Aww. it's just the best little cuddle buddy and has really, and, and I don't know what it's going to be like for Duncan, <laughs> my other dog now. Ozzy was my original dog. Uh, it was the first dog I was talking about. Duncan, I don't know what it's going to be like for Duncan when I have to go back to work. <laughs> right. You may, have, you may have to come with me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, could have been Duncan's plan all along, right? Yeah, like, no yes. doubt. It kind um, of feels that way. It feels like Duncan's finally gotten what he wants in a weird way and I'm like oh bastard <laughs> <laughs> so but how I'm assuming that you've had you've lost work and projects right well I mean the outright theater festival which is you know fuses major event every year um at this stage of the game is is under the um uh, uh, uh the the qualification of postponed um but <laughs> 
I mean, how long are we willing to, are we able to say that before it's, you know, 2021 and we're just doing the 2021 festival in 2020. So So tell, tell our listeners, folks who aren't familiar with Fuse, tell, tell us just a little bit about sort of Fuse Theater Ensemble, your mission, what, why you're unique in the Portland area. What's, what's Fuse all about? Um, okay. Uh, yeah, Fuse is, uh, I mean, our mission is to uh, simply put shift the paradigm and we, we address that in a number of ways, uh, uh, addressing our uh, uh, collaborators as, and as collaborators as opposed to, uh, to competitors, um, trying to eliminate the concepts of competition from uh, our process at least. We, we address it through being a more sustainable um, company. Uh, obviously, as a, a set designer and a technical director, I have very specific opinions on um, theater and and where we should be um, um, focusing focusing our efforts and as you mentioned you know how we come out of this I I certainly hope we we uh, address the inequities in pay for artists and the vast amount of money that goes into structures and and designs and those sorts of things um, and we we begin to balance that uh, uh, spreadsheet a little bit more um, uh, but big the big thing for us is that, that we dare. Um, it's a, it's an integral part of our mission, uh, the concept to dare our audiences, to dare ourselves, to, to, dare, to dare our collaborators, um, and, and ultimately to shift paradigms. That's a, that's a pretty general statement, but it is very true to the way that we approach our process. And we always start with, you know, how is this different? How is this something that, that we haven't created or how is this something that they haven't seen? Um, and we started... Initially, Carrie Sorci started the company. Well, initially, the company was uh, was started as Integrity Productions years ago. Um, I don't even know the original date of that. Uh, uh, but then in 2008, Carrie Sorci and um, Kim Bogus split the company in half, and part of it became Jane. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then Fuse uh, uh, created or took uh, its own 501c3 on and became its own company. Carrie uh, had the company, I believe, for about two years, um, and then uh, Carrie had a baby, and it became evident that that the baby was was going to need you know more attention than she could give, and that the theater company was evidently going to suffer from it. Um, and so, uh, at that stage of the game, I had just moved back from teaching uh, down in Louisiana for a couple of years, and um, Kate, Mira, and I took the company over, um, and. We worked as co-ADs for a while, but Kate realized very soon that, that there's a lot of things that go into artistic directing that Kate just has no interest in. But what Kate does now for us now is what we call the artistic ambassador. Um, and that has been a, a really great thing for Kate because that is what Kate really likes to do. She's able to kind of like um, reach out into the international communities and take her shows on tour and establish relationships uh, across you know, borders that maybe we wouldn't necessarily, uh, uh, you know, whereas my work tends to very much focus on Portland with the Outright Theater Festival and putting on shows in Portland. Um, I have taken a few things on tour, but it's not necessarily my focus. So it's allowed right. us to kind of live in both of those small theater company worlds on uh, a local level, but also on an international level as well. And and so, and really, I mean, Fuse, a part of Fuse's mission is represented through that right theater festival, which is this celebration of sort of queer contributors to theater, which is held every year. What what is what does that mean? What is it? What is the celebration as a theater festival? Is it productions, play readings, commissions? What what does Outright Theater Festival do? 
it's grown an, an enormous amount. It started out as simply just uh, four different readings of, of existing scripts. Um, uh, but we, we quick, quickly uh, reformed it and shaped it. And the structure now, um, and this is after a decade of every year, the structure altering slightly. The structure now is, is that we, um, we have one feature production uh, for the festival. Um, uh, and then from there, we have uh, a workshop usually of an, a, a, a developing script. And then we do a series of readings, and sometimes those are readings of developing scripts as well. And sometimes those are readings of what we might consider uh, classic queer uh, canon. Um, uh, we do try, we try to try to focus ourselves a little bit more in terms of being a queer theater company um, from a political standpoint, as opposed to maybe an LGBT um, uh, uh, company. Uh, I think there's some definitions and some, you know, especially with our, uh, uh, the plurality of our board and the plurality of our company. Um, uh, not everybody is lesbian, gay, bisexual, or trans, but we do all identify, or the vast majority of us, and I think. I don't want to speak for everybody because I, I don't right, know everything. Because sometimes that gets you in trouble. And, 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 some, and, and, sometimes, <laughs> and sometimes things change since the last yeah, exactly. time we talked. So, right. <clears throat> uh, but the vast majority of us identify as queer. Um, and so, you know, this idea of the Outright Festival became very, it, it, you know, Scott, I'm not going to lie. It became important to us because it was a huge success for us. It was our first huge success. It was the first time we had gathered sold out audiences into our old host home back at theater theater. Um, and so the success kind of bred our, our, our enthusiasm and our desire. Of course. Obviously. Well, that, that's, <laughs> that's completely understandable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like we love doing this event, even though it is a massive financial disaster and it's a huge pain in the ass. Yes. We still keep doing it. We're super <laughs> enthusiastic about it. Yeah. So, I mean, but I mean, I'm also, you know, I'm super fortunate because this has always been a, a focus of mine, you know, queer. I, I personally, and I think that the, that the festival has kind of taken this on as well, but I've always felt that the best chronicle of the, the queer civil rights experience is the theater. Mm-hmm. We were telling our stories, we, you know, the theater was telling our stories. Um, whereas, you know, television, film, uh, you know, literature certainly has a, a, a lot available as well. But the most, maybe the most accessible, I should say, would be, you know, is theater. We told our stories. And so, um, you know, much of me just wants to make sure that we're sharing our our oral history or our history with generations to come so that we we don't, we we don't have family to carry on. uh, Many of us, I should say, don't have family to carry on traditions and history. So we do rely on our queer elders to make sure that those things are, those stories are told to us and that they are, are an important part of, of the, you know, our culture. Um, I was just in a reading for um, one of the playwrights uh, for that we've had an outright for years, J. Julian Christopher uh, called me in to do a reading for his new play, Ronald Reagan Murdered My Mentors. Mm. Um, and, wow. and I was astounded at, it was only a couple of people. There were only probably 10 people on the Zoom screen um, total when all was said and done, but there were a couple people in the, in the reading who, didn't understand or had never heard the connection of Ronald Reagan to the AIDS crisis and what happened. And, and these are people who are involved in theater. These are queer people who are involved in theater. And so um, making sure that our oral history is told and it's told by us and it's given our perspective um, is a huge part of why we do outright. I love that. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, of course, you know, 
<laughs> I, I was sort of my jaw was on the ground with like, wait, queer people listening to a, a reading were unfamiliar with the Reagan era it's amazing. massacre. It's, but these right? are like, they're young kids. They're you know less. probably twenty, <laughs> probably twenty, twenty-one years old, and we're yeah. not around for Reagan, and obviously, and didn't know anything. And it was just yeah, my jaw was on the ground too. I was like, oh, <laughs> like oh. wait a minute. Okay, we're gonna stop the reading. Let's go back. We're gonna do some history, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so, I, I mean, I love, of course, you know that that there's something that I am passionate about as well, and that I love you for doing it, and I love you guys for focusing on that. Why, why theater for you, Rusty? Like, what, what drew you? I mean, you have this incredible facility and skill as a builder and as a designer. Um, what drew you to theater as an art form initially? Like, in your early, what's your origin story, Rusty? Oh God! Um, there's a whole solo show. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't want you to do the whole thing, but <laughs> no, I, will, I promise you, I'll save you the hour. Um, uh, but no, it is. Uh, uh, I went to go see a Midsummer Night's Dream um, uh, when I was probably in. I'm going to say fourth or fifth grade. I was young. Um, my mom took me, my mom, whose birthday is April 23rd, um, Shakespeare's birthday or death day, however you want to view it. Um, and, uh, she took me to go see the show and the person who was playing puck, it was at my high school. It was on my high school gymnasium floor, um, that they performed it with, uh, fabric flats put up behind them. Uh, and the person who played puck was the kind of like, punk new wave girl her name was kate flock and um uh they they layered her in nylons and pantyhose all over her body and so on that gymnasium floor she just slid everywhere wow and as a kid i was like oh That's my magic <laughs> not only is that magic i'm doing that for the rest of my life i was also like, <laughs> at this time i was you know big into my gymnastics i was a tumbler and all that other stuff so i was just like oh my god if i get to do that for a living that would just be amazing and so it kind of it was in that instant, and I know that this is, not, I'm not alone in this, that it was just, an, it's something that turned on very early with me, and it was, it was never, say, die. I, I, I always, when, um, when I got to high school, they had actually cut the theater program from my high school, um, so I spent two years basically being nasty little rusty that we were all so familiar with, just pitching a, you know, a, a a storm and a fit everywhere I could go because nobody was sufficing my theater needs. And then right. my senior year, they actually let me uh, uh, go ahead and produce uh, um, uh, uh, two shows, uh, well, uh, uh, a couple of one acts in the fall. And then we ended up doing this really, really hokey musical, but it was adorable called, I'm sorry, the bridge is out. You'll have to spend the night. Brought, oh, I love it. It brought all of the like classic um, uh, Wolfman and Dracula and all those people. It was, and it was Rocky Horror. It was a ripoff right, of the Rocky of Horror idea. Of course. Of course. Um, uh, but yeah, they, they finally gave me that opportunity because I kind of like, you know, said I'm going to do it whether you like it or not. I'm going to stage these things and make this happen. And uh, yeah, and then I graduated from high school and had all these ridiculous offers to go. I was also, I went to a small school, so I graduated valedictorian um, and had ridiculous offers. But I said to my mom, no, I'm going to go to Michigan State and um, I'm not going to deal with any of these scholarships. I'm going to go study theater. And my parents, who were pretty poor, weren't going to pay for any of my school anyway. And so they felt it was my choice to study what I wanted to study. And so they basically got out of my way and 
and um, and it was actually when my um, uh, mother was uh, passed away from cancer, I was playing puck in a Midsummer Night's Dream at that point in time. Wow. Yeah. Like, I mean, honest to God, that's, it's Shakespearean, right? I mean, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> my mother was Shakespearean. Was she? No oh God, yes. Oh God. <laughs> Yeah, there's, we, there's, many, many of us have those kinds of moms resting it, sure. it's all her responsibility it's all her fault <laughs> <laughs> uh so so what brought you to portland my husband yeah yeah i mean they do I, that i uh, my husband and i had you know i had graduated with my mfa at a very bad time and i feel really terrible for the kids who are doing it right now as well um, because I think it's probably going to be fairly similar in that um, I graduated with an MFA and a few years later we were deep in a recession. And um, so I had had uh, uh, by that point in time, two, yeah, two, two jobs that had been cut due to budget cuts um, in various different places. Uh, and so I found myself without a job at the end of one school year. And Jason and I had started dating about six months previous to that. And I was like, it was my birthday. And I was like, I, you know, I'm going to move up to Portland and I moved in and, you know, here we are 13 years later or whatever, and, and everything's great. And, um, I've fallen in love with this city and, and I can't imagine myself really ever wanting to live anywhere else. Um, it gives me a lot of what I want and it's afforded me a level of, uh, comfort in my art that a lot of other places that I've lived um, have not afforded me. So, yeah, I uh, I love Portland. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm full on a Portlander now. Well, I can I can speak for Portland. Portland loves you too. So, oh, thank you. Um, you earned it. I didn't give you anything you didn't earn. <laughs> You've been very generous with with our community, uh, with the community there. So. Uh, I mean, I, I'm super struck by this conversation around sort of history and teaching people history and the oral histories, particularly when it comes to queer stories. But, you know, I, I don't know if this is a thing that keeps you up nights, but it has certainly been keeping me up over the last eight weeks, which is this concern that I have about theater companies, you know, struggling to make ends meet and, and the finances and really ultimately making the choice to become more conservative in their programming and stop and no longer telling the stories of silenced or excluded communities or people. Are you worried that one of the things we're going to face as a, as an industry is that sort of taking some steps back and being less willing to take risks in, in terms of our programming? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it is, so, yeah, I mean, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head right away, and that is that, you know, what we're talking about is not a crisis of art, right? We're talking about a crisis. Art can reflect the crisis, certainly, but we're talking about a, an economic crisis. And so what we're talking about are these institutions and these buildings and these, um, these in essence, companies or corporations um, and so there is, I'm all, always of two minds in this, right? Like, I can't talk about how we need to dismantle corporations on one level and not address that in my own community as well. 
And so part of what you're talking about, if we're going to do it right, in my mind, is some of these people are going to have to fall. Now, I hope that's not you, and I hope that's not my lo- people I love, of course, right? But there's a reality in my mind of the fact that corporations or companies will suffer and will fall in this pandemic that we're a part of. But the artists, you and I, are not going to stop this, right? If we lose our jobs at our our are knock on wood all over me. But if, if something like that were to happen, it's going to suck. It's going to be terrible. But when we come out of this on the other end, we're still going to be theater makers. Theater is still going to need to be made. And there is still going to be an audience for theater. Now, will we then make choices that are financially based in order to get our companies you know, into a successful place and all that other stuff? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I also don't think that that has to be done um, uh, uh, while removing the risk taking. And I'm just going to like use fuse. And I would also say bag and baggage in this way, you know, your work at bag and baggage in this way, it was slow and steady. Right. And it was, it was, it was fueled by risk taking coupled with bringing you the satisfying classics. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think that there is a model in that. I'm not saying that everyone, you know, should be admonished if they pull out a a, a, a Hamlet or a you know a, a, a Cats or whatever you know what I mean if that's great an Oklahoma or whatever yeah <laughs> to get themselves going I'm not going to admonish that um, by any stretch of the imagination but I think that we as a community and I'm I'm happy to see that most of the people like you know that that I share community with most of the people are addressing this, that, that we don't make these steps backwards and that we don't say, yeah, we can't take that risk on that African-American play right now or, you know, whatever the case or that queer play or whatever, you know, we can't host that. I hope that we don't make those steps backwards, but I am very confident that as long as people like you and I and other people that I know are, you know, are in the, the situations to make these decisions that we won't be doing that. Right. I want to I want to go back to something you said about this, um, and and I, I to be honest, Rusty, I've, I've tried to broach this subject with a couple of other uh, colleagues and and folks, you know, in similar positions, artistic directors or managing directors on the podcast, and it's not really been a topic that people want to dig into. So if you are like, no, I don't want to talk about it, fine, we don't have to talk about it. Okay. I want to talk about this thing you've referenced where pe- theaters are going to go under. There, we are going to lose theaters. And, you know, I was on the TCG conference, whenever it was a week and a half ago, and somebody said, you know, they're expecting 40 to 60% of the nonprofit theaters in the United States not to make it. Yeah. And there is a part of me, I'm just going to be, you know, fully transparent and all my cards on the table, that feels a little bit like a forest fire in the American theater may not be such a bad thing. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. So, really. And how did I know that you and I were going to agree on this? <laughs> I mean, I, I also, again, I view this, and I, you, I, I'm, I'm, I'm most impressed with you having that opinion because I view this from a place of privilege. Like when Fuse, when when Theater Theater decided to kick out its tenants, uh, and Fuse and Vertigo and Profile had to find new homes, Fuse made a choice at that stage of the game that we did not want a home that we were going to, you know, be working site specifically or that we were going to be renting venues and so on and so forth. I cannot tell you 10 years down the road how happy I am that we made that decision because 
that's what people are are suffering. That's where the companies are suffering right now is in the, the inability to be able to create revenue, to be able to, to satisfy their overhead, which is largely bills and rent right now. So, um, uh, you know, I sit from a place of privilege when I when I when I say, you know, yes, I think theater should take this time and burn down and and rebuild itself the proper way because I don't have I have a, a, a you know a fuse has a small uh, rehearsal space that we have covered right now in terms of finances. We're in an, in an, uh, uh, we have the unique ability to be able to just sit back on our you know laurels and on our, our bank account basically and and wait till this passes and that's what we've decided to do our our approach as a company from the word go has always been wisely and slow they stumble who run fast and we're taking this pandemic that way as well you know we're not in a huge rush because we don't have to be because we don't have that overhead issue we're not in a huge rush to get things producing back to producing on a uh, on the level that we're used to, right? What we're really trying to do right now, and what we're interested in doing right now, is is investigating all of these like new and unique ways that that this period this period in time is actually causing us to focus on our mission more, mm-hmm. which is. All of these ways that we're that, that we are out of necessity, shifting our paradigm on a daily basis. Now we're trying to like be open and aware of those and sensitive to those, and think about how Fuse might be able to use those as we move forward. Um, because there's just so much information about the discussions, the theoretical discussions that I have had about theater, its existence, what it is by definition. This it's it's all happening now within the past eight weeks, right? Like it is it is elevated to this unbelievable level, um, and so that sort of stuff is what is fueling us, and you know, and and turning more into our, our practice at least for the next year or year and a half or two years, whatever it ends up being. But that it, it becomes more laboratory, um, more more experimental, um, and and less about what the end product is or production is. Right. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 funny because I think for, you know, I, I, I was the founding artistic director of Bag and Baggage for 15 years. And I don't know that at any point during that 15 years, I ever spent as much time thinking about whether or not that theater company should exist, whether or not we were doing work which was of service to the community, whether or not we should own a building. I don't know that I've spent anywhere near as much time thinking about questions like that as I have in the last four weeks. Yeah. And I got, you know, and part of that is, and I'm certain you feel this exhausting. Oh God, I'm exhausted. And and oppressive because my mind, that's just the nature of the way that I approach the art and and the way my mind works, I guess. But, but I'm always thinking about it. And there have been far too many nights where I get the thought, a a thought at 11 a or 11 PM and I'm, I'm unable to get to sleep until two or three o'clock in the morning. Right. I mean, I think, you know, I, I I keep sort of bringing myself back around to this issue of overheads and operation in building-based theaters, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. That that when we look across the country, you know, the, and this is a huge, ridiculous, broad generalization, but the giant institutions that have four performance spaces and a costume shop and, you know, the Guthrie's, the, the, all the big dogs, right? Those yep. 15, 25, $50 million a year companies, often have endowments and if they don't have endowments they have major donors who are going to be able to to keep them afloat 
Then at the sort of far and other extreme are organizations like Fuse, like Bag and Baggage, a little bit like Company of Fools, although you know we are a building-based theater, mm-hmm. that we have some flexibility. We, we are not so large that we can't <clears throat> roll with the punches, figure things out, right? And then there's this kind of middle section, right? The, this, these sort of like mid-sized regional theaters. And those are the ones that I am most concerned about. Oh yeah. That and and for me, what makes me panic is that that means number one, theater is going to be uh, sort of centralized in predominantly urban areas, which excludes suburban communities and rural and communities from access to high quality work. That it's going to become ever and ever more about sustaining the building, and not necessarily the art. Mm-hmm. Are there ways, I mean, you you are an inherent collaborator, right? Like you are by very nature a collaborator. I, I am turning time and time again to this notion of shared resources, um, providing uh, opportunities for a variety of organizations to share in the responsibility of a performance space. Um, what, what ways are you thinking about in, how are you thinking about collaboration and cooperation at this time? Well, um, okay, so the- Is that a giant question or ridiculous It's a lot, but I mean, I, I get it. <laughs> you know, at the core of this is, is again, it's, it, it's the buildings and I don't, I don't know that we can focus on saving them. Like I, I, to me, I, I had to make a choice in where I put my money and that's when it distilled in my mind. And that choice was to give the artists money and not worry about the companies. Um, and so that that's just the way that I've been able to address my money. I don't think I'm in the same financial situation as other people. Um, uh, but I, that, that, that is what made sense to me because I, I guess I know a lot of people right now who were just looking to get groceries on their table or make sure that their kids could eat. So right. that, that was, that was where my, my focus, um, went to, I don't, I don't, nobody has a crystal ball, so I don't know how we come out, you know, how we come out of this, but I, 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 I fully agree with the idea that, that, um, that there's going to have to be a reckoning of capitalism and, and art uh, here, because again, this is not an artistic crisis. This is a capitalistic crisis. And so, uh, and obviously a health crisis that I'm not taking anything away right, from that. Course, art can reflect both of those, but, but we are not in a situation where all of a sudden people don't feel creative. Right. <laughs> um, so my, uh, my hope is, and this is my hope, across the board is that when we come out of this, that we will be able to reflect on what we've learned about the art and the necessities of the art and, and institute those, the, the, the lessons learned while still, you know, hopefully returning to a sense of normalcy. I don't, I, I've, I've eliminated the idea of going, getting back to normal from my lexicon, because I don't think it's useful. There is no normal after this. I've been through enough traumatic events to know that things have changed. Um, but to give a sense of normalcy, I think is something that we all, are desiring and and I I told I 100% agree with you that I think that the people who are going to be struggling the most are the people in, at the middle level um, and access you know in smaller communities you know the 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 companies that exist are either going to have to address that via virtual um, uh, connections with smaller communities or actually taking shows if they're if we're able to taking shows into those smaller communities and making sure. 
um, that we, you know, again, aren't forgetting that access is, is a problem with theater. Um, uh, that's one of the things I think we can fix on the other end of this. And I think that the internet and streaming um, and again, these broadening of definitions of what we will place under that umbrella of theater, um, I think that allows us some opportunities to reach some of these people. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm 100% I'm there with you, but I don't know if I am afraid of- What happens. What happens, yeah. because I know that the people are who, I'm most concerned about, and I know that those people are always going to be theater makers on the other end of this, or the vast majority of us. Certainly we'll have people who are like, all right, I'm done. But the vast majority of us will always be theater makers because we've proven we're going to do it no matter what. Right. right. (laughs) Just try and stop me. Yeah. Uh, So I feel like we will then create new companies and we will take over old spaces as new companies, or we will reinstitute that name of that, you know? So I feel like there'll be a process of that. Um, but, you know, I think the, the, that there's a real real estate issue right now. Theater has never been a good use of real estate. Right. Um, right. But as of late, <laughs> it's, even got, it's even gotten worse, right? It's just, it's an implausible use of real estate. So I think, you know, make it, in my mind, really just kind of like delineating whether we're talking about real estate or whether we're talking about artists. I try to keep those two things separate in my companies and real estate, I guess, you know, because because that's the way I'm approaching this crisis is, you know, how are companies and corporations, the people who put us in this crisis, you know, what, what happened then? Right. So, All right. So t- I want you to talk me into believing that I, I understand the, the access point about oh. online work. I get it. Oh. Totally yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about why theater makers should go onto Zoom. Why? Okay. Yeah, I mean, and, and totally, like, I, I get this. Like, I was a purist uh, to a certain degree, and I'm not going to, like, this has been a change in me, so I'm going to start from a place by recognizing change is possible in this this thought process. Um, I'm a Peter Brook freak. I'm an empty spacer, right? You like, and I, you and I, this is something that we have shared since the very first time we met, yeah. which is I'm a, I'm a Peter Brook person as well, like, Give me, give me some artists and, a, and an empty space and I'm good to yeah. go. Yeah, and it's totally like, it's totally, you know, informed our aesthetic as well. Like the way that we make theater, you know, right, right. <laughs> informed by that. Um, and so I obviously, I, I don't know where you're at with this, but I immediately as all of this has is, is gone on, I, I started picking up Empty Space again and started reading it. And, and one of the things that I'm fascinated with in Empty Space, and I, I almost feel at first, I felt like there's no way Peter Brook could have been, thinking that we would exist in a day and an age where aliveness or liveness was so accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, that, that had been my frame of thinking. And going back and reading, I'm actually wondering about that now. Because oh, really? I, I have not gone back to it, but I, maybe I will now for sure. It's interesting because I had always made, and you know, our bias towards the screen is very integral, and I'll t- hopefully turn or circle back around to this. But, but I had made my my suppositions about uh, 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 what 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 when when Peter Brook talked about space, shared space. I had made my supposition that Peter Brook meant shared physical space, and I'm and going back and reading, I can find no place that he mm. actually meant. And he actually kind of talks about liminal spaces as being shared spaces. 
um, uh, and spaces that are, are, are kind of in between spaces as being shared spaces. So uh, in that, I'm, I'm starting to wonder, maybe he did have a sense of it. And, and, and in, in saying that and, and in in, in rationalizing it in my mind, you know, Peter, grew, Peter Brook grew up in the rise of television as well. Um, and television, um, I mean, many people place television and film in this, in this kind of co-category um, because they both exist on screens, but television's original purpose was actually to bring the live event into the living room. Right. Much, much of television initially was obviously all live sort of stuff. So the idea was to create the live. So in actuality, television in its origins, especially maybe not in its the way that it's manifested at this stage of the game, but in its origins, television was very much part of the umbrella of what I would say theater is. Um, uh, but the only thing it lacked was that shared space. Um, uh, well, in this day and age, number one, I think the reason, the biggest reason we should all be addressing this right now is because it's what we can do, right? It's not relishing uh, or, 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 or wallowing in what we can't do right now. It's wallowing in what we can do. Um, and, and if somebody else finds something new that we can do with this, the, the, the technology and the abilities in front of us, I hope that we as theater artists approach it through that vein, that we can do this. Um, so that's the biggest reason, I guess, that I think we should be doing it. But then there's also this fact that, that actually, it isn't about shared physical space, at least by the definition, the basic definition that I live my life by anymore. And, it is, and that there is a space we were the, the term space means so many different things in our language, but there is a space in this Zoom call or in, in, a, in, in a live stream, there is a space that is shared and it may not be a physical space, but it is a space that you and I are occupying together at the same time. Um, and, and is there an ability to, to respond as an audience member and engage as an audience member? Absolutely. There is, but it is different and it's different. That ability is different when you go to a Broadway theater versus when you go to an improv show, you know, those differences have always existed. So it becomes a lot of splitting hairs with me. And I, I've spent far too many theses, uh, um, defenses in, in my day, trying for people, you know, trying to define what theater is for me to be, feel very comfortable defining theater as anything other than the most basic formula, which is what Peter Brook gave me. Give me an, uh, an actor, an empty space, an actor to walk across that space and an audience to view that. And we have an act of theater. Right. And if I truly believe that, then I can no longer say, you know what? Zoom theater is not theater. I can say, I don't like it. I'm not necessarily into it. It doesn't intrigue me the way that sharing physical space does. But I can say those same sorts of things about a lot of different types of theater. So. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, there are tons of the there are tons of types of theater that meet that definition for me. Yeah, they're still all theater. They're just not theater I like or exactly. want to see. And I think we've done ourselves a huge disservice in, um, over the years. And I, this is where that bias comes from. You know, television did us wrong. I'm not going to lie. It stole people away from theater. It, it, it gave them so much more opportunity, offered them so much more money. It literally stole people. And so this inherent bias was created in us against, as theater people, as purists, right? As people who kind of grew up studying it and whatnot, this inherent bias was bred into us from, from, from that history. And I think we have to be able to kind of, at this stage of the game, 
especially with the accessibility that 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 this does provide um uh you know a certain degree of people that were not necessarily did not find theater accessible before i think we have to take that seriously in a, if we really are serious when we are talking about rebuilding a theater that is viable and accessible and is something that people um, are wanting to engage with. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I get it. Like Zoom readings are really boring to me sometimes. Well, you just said the, you just said like five minutes ago, I'm exhausted. And I, you know, <clears throat> there is a part of this that, that is also just about me being exhausted, right? Like, um, you know, I worry about things like whether or not those sort of new technologies reflect um, directorial or acting choices very well, right? Like what's the, is it reflective of the quality that we would like? Are we, are we lacking something in the co-present nature of relationship between actor and audience that is something you can't duplicate on a Zoom call that does in fact have a measurable impact on the performance, right? The, and, and then I, and then I just go, meh, I'm, I just don't want to do it. <laughs> I just like, well, I can I mean, come up with as many excuses as I want, but at the end of the that's, day. <laughs> that's ultimately what I want to hear people saying, right? Is, right. And, and that's where I was most frustrated with the conversation is it became this like scholarly conversation about right. what the definition of theater is. And that's not theater. Yeah, and, you're like, you don't get to make that call. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. <laughs> you don't get to say that. You can say you hate it. Like that's right. totally viable. Like, right. It doesn't serve what you love in theater. Like that's a totally viable response. I get that. But I do think that we are approaching ages where that may not be as hey, relevant. You watch your mouth. <laughs> I, I don't know what you are implying. I'm just saying, like our concept of what is relevant, it, may, it might, might, we might want to. All right, we're old. We're old. It's time. I'm a, I have. I have. I have. I'm okay with that. Uh, you, you let the young whippersnappers figure out how to do all this crap. I'm good. Uh, well, yes, I agree with that. But it's also um, it's opened up a new bit of vocabulary for us. And I think even yeah, what, it's you, true. what you're doing here is opening up a new vocabulary for you and in, in between you and your audience, a new dialogue between you and your audience. We've you know we've we've created a number of smaller, short you know minute to two minute content pieces, and honestly. <laughs> We, we can't talk about like changing theater without talking about changing theater. You know what right, I mean? Like, right. We've really got to be kind of at the beginning of this discussion, at least, we've got to be really super open to the idea that there are going to be some, you know, if we're going to make access and equity a priority, there are going to be some changes to the way that we invite people into our spaces and the way that we give them access into our spaces. Yeah. And that will affect the art. So, yeah, yeah, this is one of the things that I that I'm very interested in. We are about to do a, ma a massive survey of our audiences here. And and one of the things I'm feeling really proud of myself about is that I was like, OK, I'm going to ask some questions that I don't really want to know the answers to. Right. Like, <laughs> I'm going to just I'm going to I'm just going to step into that water and I'm going to ask people, would you watch this online? Why do you think this is valuable? You know, all those kinds of things, because I'm desperately wanting to not be given contradictory information, right? I don't want to well, be And I also, you know, I think we need to, um, the value of what's online, right? Like, and what it comes via streaming, I think is a, is a hard question because I am not going to deny that I get a very different 
feel from the theater I consume online versus the theater I go to see in person. That is not in question right. in my mind. Right. And I liken this to my understanding of sports as theater um, and going back to the Romans and the, the gladiator battles and so on and so forth. And also just the fact that when I watch a sporting a game, sporting game, there's narrative involved for me. Like I, I see the, the correlations between theater and sports. Um, Oh God, Rusty got off on a sports tangent. What the hell were we talking about? I know. Yeah. I was just going to say, I, I was told specifically the minute you say sports is the minute I should have internet trouble. <laughs> <laughs> God. <it's> just, <laughs> no, but I you're right. Off, uh, we were going off about the plural. Oh, no, I don't know. <laughs> oh. It's okay. I, what I, here's what I, know, I think. No, no, no. I know, I know, you I found know. it? Okay. I found it. It's the Good. fact that when I go see a game live, I recognize, I openly recognize that is a very different event to me than when I watch the basketball game on television. Mm -hmm. Do I still watch nearly every basketball game on television? Absolutely. Do I love it? Absolutely. So we have to get over this idea that theater consumed in a virtual format needs to be the same as what we, we, we go when we see live performance of theater in shared spaces. See, I it, think that is the thing that is most persuasive to me, right? That, that is the thing that pulls me toward, more toward making online streamed, Zoom-based, whatever. It, that is the thing, is that it doesn't have to be the experience no. of being in a space together. It doesn't have to be. It you know can it be does. something else. It, and, it, and it can be just simply the, the thing that gets them to come see a live performance. You know what I right. mean? Right. And that's where, where access is, is, it's such a big conversation. Um, and it's the thing that we have felt lacking from theater for so long. And it's almost been staring us in the face, but our bias towards the screen, towards our history with television and film, our bias has really created a wall. And I think that we just have to step back, check, like we've, we're doing in so many other areas, check our own personal biases, biases and, 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 you know, accept the fact that, you know, I, I was in a meeting the other day and, and we were talking, uh, you know, uh, uh, and, and I, it, what is happening is theater. Like we can't deny its existence. We may not love it. We may not like it, but theater is being made. It's, it's taking this event, these, these confines, and it is creating within it. And that is still theater. So I, my, my approach is let's support all of that. Let's, let's love that. Let's give that energy and support because it'll be very easy for us in a few years to go back to what we were trying to do before. Right. We know the habits. We know the patterns. The challenge for us is actually going to be to start something new. See, I knew you'd, I knew you'd say smart stuff. I knew it. I just knew it. Oh. Uh, tell my husband. I will. I will. I will tell him. He is smart. Not just pretty. Yeah, oh my God. So, uh, so one of the best parts about this is that I... Uh, that this has basically been, I think you're like my 65th podcast. Oh. It, this is just free counseling for me, right? Like it's just free consulting <laughs> time that I just get to talk to a bunch of really smart, incredible human beings who are theater makers, ask them a bunch of questions, and then they feed me with all of their incredible intelligence and insight. Oh. Um, so so thank you for, for doing that. I you know what? It. Thank you for the, the constant filling with 
intelligence and insight and a little bit of bullshit here and there. Hey, because... that's my job. Literally, that is what <laughs> right? I'm made of. <laughs> we do. But no, honestly, yeah. And 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 facilitating these sorts of things is really, really I'm cool. having a great time. It's keeping me, keeping me occupied. Uh, my name is Scott Palmer. I'm producing artistic director of Company of Fools, and you have been listening to Foolish Voices with my friend. Portland-based artist, performer, director, and designer, Rusty Tennant, who is the artistic director of Fuse Theater Ensemble, and also the producing artistic director of the Outright Theater Festival, a celebration of LGBTQIA plus contributions to theater that is held annually in Portland, Oregon. I will put a link to both Fuse Theater Ensemble and the Outright Festival in the description of this podcast. You should totally check it out. And if you can, throw Rusty and his, uh, their colleagues in performance some cash because they're going to need it. Everybody needs money right now, for sure. Um, Rusty, I miss you, and I'm really happy that we had a chance to talk. Yeah, I hope when we can share space again, we can share space again. So. I love that. Yeah, that makes me super happy. Will you please take care? Yeah, you too. And keep in touch. Will do. Thank you take for joining us. Bye-bye. Thank you, Mike.